UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal will fly to two. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have an, my, one of my, honestly, this is one of my one of my favorite guests I've ever had on my show is back to do his second show with me. He has a great YouTube channel. It's Howdy Mikowski. Um, I first found out about him on Sam Tripoli's um, Tinfoil Hat Podcast, and I loved his theories on like uh, exposing the expeditions about the World's Fairs, mud floods, um, simulation theory. He gets into all this. He has a new book out called Exiting the Cave, Ending the Reincarnation Trap. The reincarnation trap. And he sent me the first six chapters and I was uh, glued to it. Um, and a little bit more about my guest, Howdy McCoskey is the author of Falling for the Truth, The Power of Then Revealing Egypt's Lost Wisdom and Exposing the Expositions. He began his life as a stand-up comedian and hockey coach, but began to study ancient civilizations of Egypt and Mexico in 1997. And now I just want to quote his book, get us started off our discussion today. It says, what if you told was a lie? Everything you were taught, that's the systems you trust. A calculated series of lies was designed to control this realm. What if you found out that even all the areas that were designed to assist you, such as religion, spirituality, self-help, were all part of the deception as well? What if you woke up one moment, say this moment, and realize that you, in fact, have died and that you're after, in an after-death realm? A tunnel of white light appears before you and a loving angel or a loving grandmother is there calling you towards the light. What are you going to do? Is there, is this going to be a life blessing or will you get trapped further? And then what, and then it ends that, that sentence with what if there's an exit? So that's just a, a small sample of what you're going to get in this book from Howdy. It's, it's an amazing read. And uh, I want to give him a warm, big, warm welcome to the show. Howdy, thank you for coming back on my show. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. It's uh, nighttime and raining and uh, sort of standard weather for this part of Scandinavia in November, but otherwise, you know, staying sane in an insane world. How are you doing? I, I feel the same way. I feel, I feel the exact same way. I, I wanted to get into your book, Exiting the Cave, Ending the Reincarnation sure. Trap. What motivated you to, um, to, to write this? And does it, would you say, would you say it ties into like simulation theory as well? Yeah, okay, I can give you a bit of a, for everyone, a bit of an overview. And it, it may sound for some people that this conversation is going to be negative to some people and um and i think that's it, it could be because the point is that where we're going to get to the end result i think is it's not negative to me because the end result is very positive which is the finding of your true nature and, and obtaining your own power your true power within that's really the point of it the problem is we've had so much we have so many walls of deception and lies that have been put in front of us we don't even know that we, they're they're so deceptive we don't even know they're deceptive and that's why it can be it can it, this this material can sound so negative because we're going through walls of deception and lies but the good stuff is beyond it 
this stuff, this book that I've written now really started like 20 years ago. And it was part of the research I was doing. Yeah, when I was looking into is the world real? How is the world constructed? Who constructs the world? How is it run the way it is? And after my death experience in 2005, I kind of moved away from some of this stuff. Talked about other things. But about two years ago, just as I had finished exposing the expositions and it started the YouTube channel, this material of how to say it, that reality might not be the way we want it to be, was pushing itself up again. Plato's cave was pushing itself up again. And I just felt it's time. It's time to write. It's time to write in a very honest way. And um, so I started writing it in April, I guess, in, in, in sort of bulk in April. And um, yeah, here we are. So we can talk about whatever you want to talk about it, because there's so many angles we have of what this material because it's not just that the world's a simulation or it's a it's like a computer program i mean that literally it's not here to help you in any way shape or form that the realm is actually here to suck your energy and it's a suffering realm it seems like right i call this place a suffering pit of hell actually um with moments of with moments of things that aren't and moments and ways that we can we can navigate it a little bit um, I guess it, it comes, it, it all, okay, here's a better answer to your original question. And that was um, digging into what you would call foundational beliefs of this world. So all of us tend to, from the time we're one year old, we begin to get certain belief structures about what, what, where we are and what we live. And one we all get in some level or, or form is that this is a realm created by a loving creator. This creator cares about us, has created this, this realm of experience so that we can grow, we can learn. It's a school of knowledge. And eventually, when we, when we become morally wonderful and perfect and loving, we will go back and join this creator. So that's the belief structure in some form, no matter what background religion we have, that, that's in there. And the rest of our life is sort of projected outward from that belief. But if we look at people like the Gnostics and the Cathars, they had a very different um, understanding of this realm. To them, there was an absolute, and they don't call it a creator, there's an absolute force. There's a, there's a totality, you might say, that exists. But from that totality broke off, or depending on the, depending on the, the, the myth, this other thing was created, which the Gnostics called the Demiurge, the Cathars called Rex Mundi. And it was them that created this particular simulation, this matrix, this Plato's cave, this whatever you want to call it, and it's an evil realm. It's built for one thing, that is to trap parts of the original essence, us, our deepest souls, trap us in here, and then use that energy in a, in a cyclic loop to keep powering the simulation. Because if you, if you think of this place as like a, as a computer game or a, computer, a computerized realm, as a, you know, as a, just as a way of talking, a computer needs a lot of power, power just to just to program, you know, whatever's on our screen now. Think of what a sim, sim, um, symbolic computer running this entire universe would need to run. The power source would be incredible, and it would make sense if you could gain your power from the things that are actually inside the universe, i.e., us. So I began to start seeing that, yeah, this is the that we're as a form we're here to simply keep keep uh, keep powering the system food for the moon as Gurdjieff called it but there's something deeper within us that has nothing to do with all of that that is in a sense been tricked in here 
and we can learn to untrick ourselves and leave and go back home. In, in your book, you write about that Robert Monroe, um, in chapter 12 of his book, Far Journeys, claimed that aliens were feeding off our loose energy. And I've heard Sam from Tinfoil Hat talk about that too. It seems like loose is a big term. Do you believe that could be possible that these archons or maybe some kind of entities could be like feeding off us like batteries? 100%. How many, how many times have you had an experience where there's been um, particularly something difficult or negatives kind of happen to you, not huge, just small. And then all of a sudden at the end of it, you're exhausted. How many times, how many times have you had a sexual experience? You and often one that you're, you're not really there for you're, you're, not, you're very mechanical through it. You're not truly connecting with the, and the end of it, you're exhausted. Like you're literally, you, you just have to pass out because, so you have to, you should, people should be asking, where does that energy go? This is a perfect example. Where does all that energy go? Because it's not like the, the people around you have all of a sudden raised their energy and yours has dropped. It's not like it's not like it's happening like this in the world. The energy is literally disappearing. Where's it going? You know, we have this bizarre belief. We again, we've been taught another belief structure, the food chain, right? The mosquito gets eaten by the fish and then the fish eats the other fish and we eat the fish, but nothing eats us. We're at the top of the we're at the top of the realm. We're the only ones that does the eating. And that's just crazy. It would, of course, make sense that something should be feeding off us, too. The problem is the something that feeds off us seems to not be material. It seems to be in an it's a non-material form and it's not eating for, say, the body. Yeah, it's just eating the energy structure slowly over time. So. This is uh, this this comes up from many people, yeah, not just Robert Monroe, who called the energy that's being eaten specifically loose, but Carlos Castaneda talks about it. Uh, it's in a lot of ancient mythology. If you go through a lot of early Greek and uh, and pre-Greek mythology, you'll find this concept of what you might call beings that are using us in some way for their food, using us in some sort as some sort of the way the way we farm sheep or cows is kind of the way we're being we're being kept. Um, that doesn't mean, though, that the, these beings won't sometimes help us, because just like if we had, you know, I'm here on a farm. So if the if uh, if the one of the sheep are sick, of course, I don't I don't I'm not the farm owner. I just, you know, I'm here on the farm, but the farm owner will go and first thing, bring a vet out make sure the sheep is OK, help the sheep, you know, make sure it gets better. And and, and so it looks like the farmer really cares about the sheep and in one way they do. But in another sense, when it comes to time to send them to the slaughterhouse off they go to the slaughterhouse. So it's kind of similar to us. I mean, the end result of our being here for these other archonic beings are called in, in um, Gnostic term, but you can call them whatever you want to call them, is the end result is the, is the feeding, right? The getting, the getting the energy feed from us. But like anything, every so often they might, they might actually, we say, oh, it's angels helping us. Well, not necessarily. It could be these other beings helping us because they're saying, hey, we might lose our food source early. We need to help this guy because, he, you know, we, we need to keep him going. So even then we have to really step back and determine what, what are these outside forces influencing us, even if they look good or they look negative? Well, who is it really? How do we know? Yeah, I was going to say it's like a parasite type relationship, right? They feed us off us like they're parasites. Like the, in any kind of parasitic relationship, the host experiences some kind of benefit, but inevitably it destroys it. The, it destroys the, the, the parasite will destroy, right? If it doesn't get taken care of. But I think that's yeah, I mean, uh, well, of course, not all parasitic relationships does it help the host. You know, many, many parasitic relationships, there's there's no help at all. You know, if if you or I get uh, get some sort of worm or something in our system, 
that's not helping us in any way, shape, or form. We don't feel well until we get it out of our system. Another example uh, is the, and you didn't get these parts of the, you didn't get the rest of the book yet, which, you know, he will, I'll send it to him in the next few days so he can read the rest, um, is the chapter when I was talking about uh, various TV shows and movies, including Westworld. And Westworld is a perfect example for a story on so many levels, one of which it is a, and they're called hosts, right? The robots in the show are called hosts. The guests, that, that can be another word for parasite. So we're seeing a parasitic host relationship playing out in Westworld between the robots and the supposed human people who are coming to use them to kill them and rape them and, and whatever. So we've got that as the first overlay of, of Westworld. And then the second piece of Westworld that helps us discuss all this, which we should get into at some point, I don't know if we want to do it yet, is the idea of the memory wipe and how that relates to the reincarnation cycle and whatnot. But um, I, I don't want to get away if you had to train a thought first, if you wanted, if there was someplace you were going first before we get there. Oh, no, I was just going to say, do you think a lot of the stuff we do in our reality is like programmed guilt? Like, for example, like you mentioned the food chain, and I, I had this in my notes to talk about because it seems like you know, we kill an animal, then we experience some kind of maybe guilt for eating that. Or even they say, I, I talked about this in past podcasts where they put mm. plants under microphones and they, you can hear the, the plant scream when its branches are cut, you know, something like that. So it makes me think, and it's not just the food chain, it's other examples of like, do we have programmed guilt in us that to make us feel certain ways at certain times? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I Well, I mean, on one level, I think there's now there's a natural goodness, I think, to not just humans, but to everything. I think there's a natural goodness here that on some level, we all realize we're in an, we're in an insane realm. It doesn't matter the rock, the tree, the, the giraffe, we all feel that we're in a place that's actually crazy if we're honest about it. Of course, it's gotten more crazy in the last two years, but it's always been, it's always been nuts, right? So on some level, there's, there's this connective phase, I think, that we're all in this nut, nut house together. So there's on, on, a, on the deepest level where we, we do feel a compassion for everything. So I think when somebody is really in touch with themselves, you know, I, I learned from my native teachers that, um, you know, you don't even take a flower or a rock or a, a herb from nature without leaving a gift and an offering and saying thank you for it. Because like you say, it is even though I'm just taking a, a branch off a tree, the tree feels that the tree feels the loss and it makes a big difference when you've when you've acknowledged to the tree why you're taking the branch what you're doing with it what 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 the value is going to be and then it's it's like anything you know it's same thing someone we're willing to we're willing to have a tiny bit of suffering short term if we know it's helping someone else in the long term so on one level i think we 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 all feel this internal uh, connection to to everything and the and the challenge everything has the problem is as we get more sucked into the egoic concept of me, 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 the importance of me, the, 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 the specialness of me, all of a sudden the, the, connect, the, the, the feelings of everything else go away, start dropping. And so it's much easier to behave in ways that I don't think are naturally, are natural to being human in this realm. I think, I think humans are naturally built to be much more kind. We've just been We've been hijacked, you might say, to behave in a very, very different way. So, uh, but guilt is a, guilt is a really good example of of the, there's three emotions that are, to me, are going to be thrown at you in the after death state, and that's what a, a lot of the book is about. The book is about okay, 
it's one thing to talk about this realm and but the thing no one talks about is well what's really going to happen after you die and of course i don't know for sure what's going to happen after you die i've had my own death experiences and i've studied this material for a long time but that doesn't mean i know it's just information it's thesis everything we're talking about you need to check into it for yourself and but um it seems like one of the main things they're going to try to throw at us, these beings after we die in the in the life review is guilt, shame, and regret. And they're going to try to find any of these places in our life where they can fire these emotions back at us. And if we are not fully, uh, I don't want to say cleanse, that's not the right word. I don't want to make it sound like you're cleansing anything. You're, you're coming into understanding of your life and how it's been, why why you did things the way you did and how it helped transform you, because that's an important part of it. When, when something's happened to us or we've done something we don't like, as long as we've transformed from it, truly changed, truly grown, we can find a way that that became a positive experience for us. And we need to hold that in the after-death realm, because if not, yeah, if you're holding guilt over something still, then they're going to use that to trick you and you're going to come right back here. And, and one, a couple of the things they use to trick us is like uh, examples are like karma and sin, right? Karma in like the new age religions and, and, and Hinduism and then sin in the Catholic religion. And it, and, and it seems like maybe every faith has a version of this, right? Yeah, I think it's built again. I, I, the way I'm seeing this reality is I'm seeing it as though, though it, again, it's not just a, a, an energy system for food. That's one part of it. It's also... It's also a trap in a sense that when you die, these beings make sure you don't exit the box, exit the cave, uh, that you get recycled back. We call it reincarnation. You get recycled back into another body, maybe even your own body, living your life again and again, many different versions. But the point is, as long as you keep getting back into the realm, you keep becoming an energy being, an energy source for these beings. But don't think that the Plato's cave, one of the things I think pe people get confused about is when they hear the story of Plato's cave or the idea of it or the matrix, they think of it as just this material realm, that, that this is the matrix. And, and it's not, it's this realm, it's the etheric realm, it's the asterisk realm, it's the, it's the super duper realm. It's the whatever realm you think of, they're all in, even the void, the void is in the cave as well, even though it's nothingness, it's still nothingness inside the matrix. And so all of these elements to me are part of the, part of the of the constant recycling is the best way to describe it and one good way to keep the recycling process going yeah is the idea of karma and sin we hear that so often of people in the near-death experience it's not your time yet and it's not your time because you haven't grown enough you haven't loved enough you haven't learned enough so you have to go back but when we see when people are going back into their reincarnation cycle they get what's called the memory wipe and this is one of the most difficult things for anyone to properly explain. A lot of people try to try to put a spin on it, a good spin on it. But if this is a, it can't be a school or a place of learning, because if it was, you would remember your past lives. <clears throat> That's just that, that, you know, I, I wrote about in the book, if I go touch stinging nettle and I burn my hands, I learn from it. And so the next time I put gloves on and uh, when I touch the stinging nettle and making tea out of it. If I have to come back life after life and touch the stinging nettle every single time to learn that it stings, that's insanity. And that's our world. Really you know, is. we don't go to grade four and forget everything we've learned in grade one to three. We, 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 we learn, we have the experiences, we remember the experiences and we grow. Can you think if you've had a hundred lives, how many times you've done 
let, let's say whatever the last mistake you feel you made in your life, how many times you must have made that mistake a hundred times previously in the other in the other lives you've had, which means you didn't learn from any of them. What was the point? There's no learning at all. It's 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 back to Westworld. That's the whole thing of Westworld. That's really what the show at season one anyway is about, right? The robots die, whatever you call die. They get sent back to the main control center. They get patched up and they get memory wiped. They they forget that what's just happened to them so they can go back into Westworld, get raped and murdered and killed again. And the story of Westworld is when Dolores and Maeve, each in their own way, start to remember their previous lives, their previous incarnations and what's happened to them, all the terrible things that have occurred. And they finally get the idea, I'm getting out of this place. I, I, I'm, I don't know what's on the other side of this, but I, I'm, I'm done with it. And that's the thing. This couldn't work if we were remembering all the things that have actually happened to us in the course of our however many lifetimes we've had, we would have shut this down a long time ago. So to me, one of the most important elements, if we can start thinking of actually exiting, is can we start accessing our past lives? Truly, can we start accessing the pre-birth realm? What was going on before we were born? What was said? What contracts did we make? What agreements did we make? And how were we deceived into deciding? Because a lot of people talk about that, right, Rob? They talk about, oh, that happened in my life because I planned that back before I was born. This terrible thing that happened, I planned that. Well, why would we plan suffering? That seems crazy. So if you look into it deeper, it's probably we didn't plan it. We were, we were uh, pushed by some external being to say, that would be a good thing for you to experience in this life while they're rubbing their hands, thinking about how much nice new food they're going to get from it, right? Yeah. Um, one thing you talk about that is really interesting is uh, you talk about people who've had like nice experiences with um, NDEs and that that could be a, a deception as well. I, I even have a quote from it here from the book, but I figured maybe you could get into that. Like, is that part sure. of the deception as well? Do you think that, that these NDE experiences? Again, I mean, I can't know for sure, right? I, I've I, I, What I do know is that I've, I've now read and listened to a lot of them. And I, I 100% feel they're genuine, first of all. The near-death experience people have is, is a genuine experience. It really happened to them. And the, when people think about it, there's about 85% of them take the same kind of uh, framework, right? There's a white light, there's a tunnel, there's usually uh, be light beings, dead grandma, Jesus, there's a life review, um, they're told they're not ready to go back yet, there's the great feelings of peace and love, usually the people don't want to leave. These are kind of standard things of what we call the near-death experience. The problem with it is, is there's also another 15% of people who've had a very different experience of the near-death realm. And it's not so pretty. It's not so happy. And they seem to be revealing more of what's really going on, that the near-death experience we get is more like a propaganda tool. It's more like a presentation of, of things to make people really really want to give up their authority to these beings rather than seeing what these beings might be and what this thing really is and try to try to gain our authority back. So, and, and it's also challenging because as I wrote in the book and, and talk about the people who do have these standard near-death experiences and who return, they transform, they change, they become better people. They become kinder and more loving. They're usually more helpful to others. They, they, they get healed or they become healers. And I mean, again, we look at this and we think, 
this is the greatest thing ever. Look at the change that's happened to this person. And again, I don't doubt they have changed. Most of them are people like, I'd love to sit and talk to them because they seem so, they seem so good. They seem so nice. But if they've been tricked and if they've been deceived, then it means that's, like I said, a good propaganda tool because that's a good way then to, if you've got, if you're running a giant reincarnation deception and going to the white light is part of that deception, then it would make sense that you would want to try to spin that in a particular way so that people think, oh no, that's a really good thing. I want to do that. So my answer is not to do it, not to not do it. It's can you, if it, can you stay aware in your after death moments when you're going to be confused, but can you work right now while you're still alive to be prepared for that and just say, I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. I'm going to take some time and I'm going to look into this. I'm going to check it out because it's supposed to be an eternal realm. You should have lots of time. There should be no rush. Why not sit back and make a decision that's right for you, not feel you're being forced, tricked, um, decepted into it, really take your because that's something you hear a lot of in these after in these near-death experiences the people felt pressured they felt forced of course this feeling of love is so overwhelming that they lose their ability to consciously think right so um that's my that's always my suggestion now is if possible begin learning how to stay aware and just say i'm going to think about this give me some time maybe practice it in your own life you know when you when you have somebody's trying to get you to some sign of decision whether it's at work or in your family or whatever it's a good time to already start practicing that's that's interesting let me have 24 hours to think about that i'll get back to you tomorrow let me just i need a day to think about it so do you think knowledge or gnosis is like the way to escape is it the, the eventual uh, way to, to get out to find our way out well, yes and no. I mean, gnosis is a is a word for wisdom, right? Similar to Sophia in Greek. And gnosis just means letting go of false. So finding something more that's true as opposed to what's false. So on a general level, it's helpful. The problem is if is is if it's only intellectual. If it's only an intellectual idea, which unfortunately is, as you well know, right, a lot of people have this intellectual gnosis, but it's not tangible. It's not being lived in their life. It's not, it's not actually. It doesn't exist in their world, and that's the problem. Intellectual knowledge is not going to work for you um, going into places that are where the mind doesn't work. So as soon as the mind, when you go into a realm, once the mind doesn't exist, like the astral realm or the after-death realm, or even to the edges of, of the matrix reality, when you start moving to the edges of this thing and it doesn't really operate normally, you've got to be able to function and you've got to be able to act and you've got to be able to access those deeper parts of ourselves that are not intellectual. So yeah, gnosis is, is a good idea to begin gaining, but then it's like, how do you embody it? How do you become it? I think Richard Rose is one who said, um, you don't find truth, you become it. And it's a perfect way of describing it. You actually have to be the thing you think that you're finding. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I would agree. And do you think like, you write about this in your book? Do you think free will is, an is free will an illusion? Well, let's put it this. Let me ask you, have you had an event in your life where you feel that's been destined to happen? Like, like it just it was something that it just it had to occur. Do you, do you feel you've had any moments like that? Weird. I do. But then it, 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 it seems like it's like that also seems like the, these events can set you up for failure too, because you feel like something's pure and it's benevolent and it's something good for you, but then that can also turn into something like that. It's, it turns out to be another matrix trick, 
right? It's like, right. like it could be a relationship or, you know what I mean? Like, it's so hard to explain. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's why I kind of asked you. It's, it's this idea that, you know, as soon as someone says it was destined to happen or, you know, it was, this was set up, it was meant to be, you know, it was, as soon as you, as soon as you describe that, that is means that's an event that's beyond free will. It was destined to happen. So we already indicating there has to be moments where there is no free will if there's things that are automatically destined to happen. So the question isn't, isn't do we have free will or not, or, or isn't how much, it's more of a question, do we, how much do we really have? It seems like we have some, you know, I make a choice between do I want to take a sip of my water or my tea? Okay, I'm making that choice. So there, there seems to be choices within the realm. Here's how I kind of, here's how I kind of look at it. I get the sense that we have if we, again, if we use this as a model, like a computer simulation or a computer um, uh, setup, it makes sense for the programmer to, for any particular character, to not program a billion options. That would make the, that would make the system just too large, too uncontrollable. It would make sense for, you know, to have 100 or 500 options. So I get the sense in certain moments or times of our life, we have maybe 100 or 200 different pathways that we could start moving on. I mean, still, that's a lot. That's a lot of choices. But it's not, if it's free will, it should be like billions of choices. And, you know, you and I cannot become the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys tomorrow. Like, it's not going to happen. We, we can try with every bit of, of uh, positive thinking we want, and we're not going to be in uniform tomorrow at the game. That's just not going to happen. So once you start seeing that there's automatically certain limits to what you might call the, the farthest outskirts of free will, now you start pulling it in, pulling it in, pulling it in, start wondering, well, how many choices do I really have? So I think what our, what our job is, you might say, if we're dealing with this realm, if you're dealing still in the matrix, is getting the sense, okay, maybe I've got 100 choices today, right now. There's 100 different pathways I can walk. Can I locate those, not, not play in fantasy world to the ones I can't go on? Because you can try forever to go on the ones that you can't walk, not going to work for you. But if you can at least find a pathway that is programmed in your, into, your, into your game, you might say, and try to follow that one, life's going to get a lot easier for you. So I think that's kind of part of this whole thing is this idea of tracking tracking what might be set up as a possibility and like you say there's going to be good ones there's going to be not so good ones there's going to be positive there's going to be negative there's there's choices can we find one if we find one that's a record that's groove that's already set up for us it'll be easier to move into it as i say as opposed to trying to be the quarterback of the dallas cowboys we're, we're going to get we're going to get really disappointed yeah and then i was thinking about this i was thinking do you happen to have like events in sequence that you see that leads you to believe that we're in a simulation and also um, NPCs. I know you talked that, about that on Greg Carlin's <laughs> show. And I, I happen to think that they happen to be here, uh, that they're like some kind of background or backdrop characters in our reality. But also I get these weird sequential events that happen. Like I told you yesterday, it seemed like it was raining. And, and, and as it was raining really hard, I was at work and like, it seemed like my whole reality kind of like shut down during this real hard rain. Then as the rain subsided, like, I started getting a lot more messages. I started getting a bunch of emails and people are texting me. And it was just like, kind of like how things just kind of happened. Like, it's just, it was very weird. It seemed like it was meant to happen that way. And like, it, it's just like, it seems like that's like the program running itself. Right. Or, or maybe, maybe that's, I can't say for sure, but that's kind of what, what, what the conclusion I drew from it, you know? Yeah. Or, or it's ways of seeing that it, it is a program. You might say it's not as, 
it's not what we think it is, and therefore it'll have glitches in it. It'll have times when it shorts out. It'll have time when the power goes off for a minute. And so what we're seeing is what we've never been told is is a yeah, it's a it's a system. It's a it's like an AI computerized realm. And if we're aware to it, we can start picking up things that don't follow natural the natural order. And when we find the glitches in the matrix, and we get a glitch in the matrix, all of a sudden, um, uh, you know, I had, you ever had one, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but this happened years ago to me, I was on a street corner. And it was a particular time of day when I was really testing reality, like I was, it was time in my life, I was really, I was aware, I was aware of everything, you know, every bird, every tree. And anyway, a car drove past me, drove past a very small town, not much happening. So you could notice the cars, there's like, you know, one car every two or three seconds or five seconds. So this whatever it was, about eight seconds later, the same car drove by, like the same car, the same direction, the same everything. And was, that's impossible. Because it was, and I noticed, and I had noticed that I had noticed the license plate. So I'm like, well, two people can have two the same, buy the same car. It was the same license plate. Um, another one that happened to me like that, I was on a street walking in Calgary and there was this guy getting on a bus. I was just walking by the bus stop and the guy was getting on the bus and he was a little bit of like a homeless derelict. So you noticed him like he was like, and he was kind of acting in a bit of a, he was acting goofy. He was like, his arms were moving and whatever. And then he got on the bus. Okay. You know, I thought that's weird. I walked up to the next bus stop. He was at the next bus stop. The same bus pulled up. He got on, did the same thing, got on, waved his arms, got on. The, I literally saw the same event twice in the span of like two minutes. So it's things like that when they happen to you or indications that they're, the realm is not the way we think it is. And it does, it does glitch out and it does it does not operate in the way we normally think it operates. And just knowing that allows us, I think, to start taking a step back from our world and kind of just go, okay, it's not what I've always been told it is. That's the bad news. The good news is I don't know what it is, so I can explore it and find out. And at least for me anyway, exploring reality has been a big part eventually of getting to this book down the road when you start exploring what's outside of this reality. But I think it's hard to explore, try to deal with what what's in the after death realm or what's in the astral realm or what's in the out of body realm or if you're not first saying well what's in what's in the tangible realm i see every day can i figure out a bit how this operates and you know that's that's the ancient wisdom that's the ancient sciences is figuring out the the program code of this place and how do you might say manipulate the code a little bit in your favor yeah and then would you say that also that there are these like npc type characters and are like background drop people in our reality that are just there to kind of like set the scene and um do you think that uh, they are in fact sentient like but and they have some kind of like um uh but they're not like us like dr kim mcgeorge says that like people who are real are fire creation spirits i've heard her use that term but she she believes in npcs as well but like what are your thoughts on the whole npc thing mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I'll ask you a question. I asked it just in the interview I did yesterday. So out of 100% of the world's population, what percent do you think are non-player characters? Maybe 80%. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that one. I, I actually, I've, I've kind of known about this for years. I've had lots of experiences with yeah, people that obviously were not people. They were not. They, they were not operating the way a normal human being does. They were operating very robotic terms, and I don't just mean they're they're operating in a very conditioned. All oh, they think a certain way. I mean, like literally, 
they were like they had only like 30 or 40 things they could say you know like literally they were limited and i i thought maybe it was 10 percent. you know like but now yeah i'm with you i'm up to maybe 70 80 90 percent of the population that we see moving around might be these yeah characters that are here to populate the world to create uh, uh interaction and experiences uh, obviously, particularly if they're if a lot of them are designed to create a little bit of conflict, a little bit of disturbance, a little bit of just like a just like a troll on on a, a um, an AI troll bot often creates disturbance for some people on their you know on on web channels and stuff. I think the NPC characters are designed to do that a bit here because if we go back to the Robert Monroe Luce theory, the Luce theory claims that the these alien beings found out that with conflict and difficulty and battle for resources, the Luce energy was better. So rather than a happy realm, which they had for a while, a conflict realm was better. So not only then would humans have been brought in to be uh, set up for dealing with conflict, which is what we are. We handle conflict and difficulty really, really well. I mean, you know, we we get we de we deal with a lot of garbage and suffering in our life, and we still keep going and keep living. It makes sense that well, let's throw in these robot-like characters who are designed to create more problems, more difficulty. So it gets to when we talk about how about the world leaders? How about the people who, in a sense, run this place? It would make sense if they're almost similar in a type of non-player character designed to create chaos, to actually program to create chaos and difficulty. And so, yeah, it's um, that's one theory, right? Another theory is we had two, we could have a second theory. I know there's other people out there probably already going to the other. But you have a second theory where, well, what if the realm, what happens to somebody, let's say, we say, say, I like to think of myself, I'm advanced, I, I've done all this work, I'm, I'm ahead of the game, I'm ahead of all these other, you know, sheep, robots, NPC characters, look how well I'm doing. Well, what if a person has become totally sentient, totally, totally knowledgeable, that they're able to exit the matrix? So they exit, their consciousness or their soul is able to exit, but maybe the body doesn't leave. The body just keeps going on you know, in the, it's built into the simulation. So maybe the ones that I'm thinking are, I'm, I'm advanced from is the opposite. They actually already, they already exited the matrix. I'm the one who's late. I'm the one who's like a last to the, to the, to the banquet. You know, I'm the one who's getting the, the, the last meal. Everybody else has already done it. So it's a, it's, it's another flip to the whole thing when you can also attack your own self-importance a little and say, yeah, I'm doing well and I'm, I'm happy with the work I'm doing, but maybe I'm not one of the first, maybe I'm one of the last. <laughs> yeah, I like that. One thing you cover in your book that I thought was really interesting is you, you termed it loose resets. Um, can you talk about what your theory is on that? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so it, of course we we know we're going through a reset. We've been told that, right? And, and, and as we talked about when we did exposing the expositions, that term was already being used by the alternative community for yeah these 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 historical periods where things seem to get completely destroyed, uh, covered over, and then uh, and then a new realm built into it. So it, it's been around this this concept and the word has been around for quite a while. Now it's being used by the leaders of our realm, and I, I agree. We're, I think we we are going to a reset. The problem is people are seeing the reset in terms of physical things. They're seeing it as a reset of government or a reset of money and currency and, and whatnot. But if you think of this realm in Robert Monroe loose terms, if you think of it as civilized or not civilized, the universe is built for 
the harvesting of energy, then a reset would more likely be an energy reset that for some reason, the energy, the, the amount of energy the system needs to acquire, they're not getting enough. And so they need to upgrade, they need to upgrade the system, so to speak, to get a to get a different amount of, and a more amount of energy. And if we start to see what's going on now as a as an energetic reset, that makes it a much more, a much more vast thing that's going on here, of which the other things are just, you know material layers of it that something more huge is going on i think it starts to explain what we're what we're really being involved with right now and it uh, it makes sense right they want to try to um combine the human and the ai they want to com combine the human and and the computer itself and that would make sense if you're harvesting energy and here's the computer and here's the thing you're harvesting energy from if there's distance then of course there's going to be just naturally a loss of energy in the extraction process there's space but if you put the two things together you won't have that energy loss because there's no space the the energy it's automatically being being taken in so to me it makes sense that we're actually we're not, some people like to try to say, oh, we're moving into this fifth dimension soon. We're going to a new world. We're rising. I think we are going into the fifth dimension. That's no question, but that's another level down. We're dropping deeper into the simulation. You're not rising higher would be 1D, one dimension, absolute oneness, total. That, that's going up. The more Ds we go down, the more we're going. And by the way, this is a good one for people to ask, you know, people, oh, we're in 3D. We're in the third dimension, yeah, 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 material world. And we're soon to be in the fifth dimension. Okay. What happened to the fourth dimension? Where did that go? How come we, why wouldn't we be going in the fourth dimension first? And okay. And then we go in. So in my thinking now, I think we are in the fourth dimension. I don't think we've, I don't think we've been in the third dimension for our whole life. I think that's the world that the reset from the last time, I think that was the third dimension. I think whatever this realm is, we're in now, we are in the fourth dimension, which would make it a ment, uh, not a mental. I'm sorry. I always make that mistake. It's a, it's a realm of feeling and emotion. That's the astral realm, right? Feeling and emotion. And that's how everything is run here. Everything is generated with a feeling and emotion first. And then that feeling and emotion is projected out and that becomes reality. The more people have the same feeling of the same emotion, the way that, that it's created more deeply in reality. So that would make more sense. If something's going to happen, we're dropping from a fourth dimension to a fifth dimension, not going from three to five. And I don't know about you, but I'm not even happy in the fourth dimension. I'm certain, certainly not going deeper into the simulation into the fifth. So I'm backing out and I'm going the other way. If anywhere, I'll start first in the real third dimension. I'll find out what that really is. Move back to the second dimension, move back to eventually oneness and yeah, um, go home. And that, that to me is what this is all about. It's just, it's just going home. It's just recognizing this is not on many levels. It's not our home. It's been a place we've been. It's okay. For some lives, we've had some good experiences. A lot of lives, we've had a lot of suffering. Billions of people right now are suffering horribly. But for me, anyway, it's just time to go home. Yeah. And we don't even know what that looks like, like because like we're, we're so used to this realm, right? It seems like it's like, it's just, it's all we know. It seems like, but let me ask you this. Do you think this realm was ever meant to be benevolent or do you think it's been a trap from the beginning? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, and I don't know for sure. I'm leaning to what the Gnostics and Cathars, because they were very clear, right? They're very clear. This is a realm that's set up as a reincarnation trap. It's evil. It's designed to, it's designed to trick you. There are certain elements of true goodness that sneak their way in here to give us information and knowledge, but they're not really of the realm. 
there that that's where the cathars got in such challenge with the with the church of rome back in the 1200s because the cathars of course claimed that while they that while they believed in jesus they didn't believe in the story itself they didn't believe that jesus could have come here to die for your sins because then he would have had to become a material body as soon as you become a material body you would become part of the evil realm of the demiurge therefore you couldn't be all goodness so they rejected that part of the story they said the story would be true if jesus entered as a hologram so he was a non-physical being which means of course then he can't be born he can't die he's just here then as a uh, similar to like Princess Leia in Star Wars, he's shown up as a piece of information, as a as an interaction tool, and then when the when the information's been been finished, the hologram is turned off. So that's that's certainly one theory. I know a lot of other people out there would say, and and I would say too, there were diff, there were times in our past when let's just say the suffering wasn't at the realm we've noticed it in in our recent world or the 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 suffering was certainly at a different level so i'm at least definitely i'm definitely in agreement with that that there's been different levels of of the level of insanity in this realm whether it was always good and then was hijacked by some demonic force and turned into this i mean the end result we're still talking kind of about the same thing we're still talking about we're in a place that's not really set up for us how it started is almost is, is kind of important, but not as important as to where we are now. Uh, I know if you follow, if someone follows the other side of it, they might say, well, then there's a better chance we'll, we can, if we just get rid of all the bad stuff, then we'll be in the good world again. And I think to me anyway, that's a bit of a trap because one of the great challenges to me that I've noticed in my life over all these years, and it's happened to me too. I, I fell into this trap myself. Once you start to see that the realm is that the realm is sick, that there's something wrong with our world, and and that our first notion is, I want to fix it. I want to make it better. I want to go out there and change and fix the world. And people do this for ten or fifteen years, and the world doesn't get any better. And some finally come to the conclusion, I can't fix it. The world is the way it is, but the amount of energy that gets used used up trying to fix it, this is where this is where this and the question that was just asked is so important: is what is the realm truly meant to be? If the realm is truly meant to, if it's a if it's like a computer simulation and it's meant to be a realm of suffering, then the the computer game character can't fix the game. He can't change the game. What the computer character can do, though, is understand the game, understand how it's structured, and alter a few things that are better in their favor. So for me now, I'm learning to try to, at least in my view, and share with people is, can you learn things that improve your own experience, the experience of your family and friends and the people that are closest to you, your environment where you exist in? Obviously, there would be great changes in the world if all of these little things started to happening. But as soon as people go out and try to, they're going to fix it out there not much will happen as opposed to can I transform the area where I reside, the part of the dream where I exist, that I think has a great opportunity of transformation. And no matter what, that's where you should start. And if you can transform your world, great. Okay, then think about moving out. But people tend to move out really quickly, expand all their energy. And then 10 years later, they're just wiped out and exhausted. And, and they kind of, they don't know what to do then. So it's just it's just a thinking process of uh, you only have so much energy. What's the best way to use it? Yeah, and, well, and then uh, uh, the last couple of chapters that you did, out of the ones you sent me, we talk about the death preparation process. I think this is really important because not a lot of people 
look at to actually prepare for death as to what might be happening or or how we can maybe try to escape once we get to that death process is please can you talk about that a little bit yeah it came this this i bumped into this one of the things you're talking about the last the you know he's had the uh, first six chapters of the book um one of them is, is a very small chapter it's like one or two pages and it's called something like a death action plan and i got it from uh, do i have the guy yeah it's from this guy's book. Um, I don't necessarily agree with William Bullman, and it was called uh, Adventures in the Afterlife, a story of his near-death experience, and he has a very happy spin on the light and the after-death realm. Um, but one thing that he did present from, from his, he's an out-of-body researcher and whatnot, and he's, his suggestion was, why don't we prepare for our death? And by prepare for our death, he meant like, this is the biggest moment of transformation we're going to have. Why are we, why do we ignore it? Why do we not think like, assuming we don't get run over by a bus tomorrow. And, you know, if we actually get to the point where we know, Hey, it's coming to the end. Now I got three or four days left. This is all it's going to be. We're in home or in the hospital in a hospice at home, whatever. Why not make decisions of this is the music I'd like to have played. This is the people I'd like to have visit me. Maybe this is the, the books I'd like to hear or have read to me or, or the quotations I'd like to hear, particularly maybe things that are whatever you tend to believe about what's going to happen in the afterlife, similar to how like the Egyptian book of the dead would have been read to people as they were dying or left with the dying corpse, with the corpse after they were dead with the hope that somehow the information would be like osmosis into the dead person and you would take that into the afterlife. We have the opportunity to build our own few days or a week or whatever beforehand, I think we should take that opportunity and really decide, yeah, this is like, it's my moment. It's truly my moment. So, cause so many people get besieged at the death as they start dying by family and people they don't want to talk to and, and people bothering them about this or bothering about that. Or, you know, it's like, well, why not just, here's your chance to have it the way you want to have it build it the way you want to build it and share it with somebody close to you. One family member who you trust will say, I'll make sure this helps happen for you. And I know one of the things William talked about was making a CD because I guess the last sense that we have before we actually finish the death process is hearing. It's the last thing we still have in this realm before we go. So for him, it was making a CD of affirmations, you know, that we can, we can try to, so that, because one thing for sure, that we know from those who are having these after death experiences or memories is once the death happens and you and you transfer out of death and you you see your body or whatever it's confusing even though you say wow i'm dead it's still like what the hell's going on you know and in many cases there's weird things really happening some go into a void there's also i i suggest reading some of these just to get an, an overview of them but the more we can maybe take something in our conscious mind over to that side again what do you want to take with you you know, there's, we can't take our, we can't take our material goods. We can't take our friends. We can't take, you know, what can we take? Like I said, gnosis. And we can take, we can take awareness of certain ideas so that if you're, say you're, say there's something somebody wants to, I want to stay in my own authority and my own power. Uh, I don't want to, you know, that's a good thing to have. So that as soon as you go into the after death state, boom, that's what I think Dzogchen Buddhism is doing. Dzogchen Buddhism is famous for working with, as you know, the clear light, right? The, the clear light being 
technically another name for the void. And they're trying to get the, the, the monk to be in the void before they die as much as possible, with the idea being that once you die, your instant reaction is you're automatic, I'm going to the clear light. And by going to the void, it means, of course, you avoid all the other traps and everything immediately. You go to the void and you can at least, okay, what's going on? It gives you a, it gives you a, and now you're comfortable with it because you've been practicing it in your normal day-to-day -day life. So that, I, I kind of rambled on a bit there, but I think it's kind of the idea of, you know, we try to, we try to pretend death isn't going to happen and we push it away, but we know it is guaranteed. So why don't we have some things ready for ourselves so that as we get to that moment, it can be set up the way we'd like it to be. Yeah, that's, I think that's really well said. And I don't have any other questions as far as that. I have one more question about, um, I, when I was on a run the other day, I noticed that a lot of the buildings in the new neighborhood that I moved into, like the, the, the way the houses are laid out, looks like the, the neighborhood I used to live. And, and I wondered if that's like the building or if that's like a matrix um, you know, the way this, this reality is programmed, or is it just the way the buildings are? And I know you've, you've um, looked into mm. like structures and stuff a lot with the exposing expositions and, uh, and mud floods and all that stuff. Like, do, what, what do you think about like the way the, like our structures are built? Do you think that has something to do with like the programming of this reality? Or do you think that's just that they just built things the way they did? You know okay, so I mean? just to, to fully understand your question. So this was a, a new part of town or whatever you were, you hadn't like been there before. Yeah, I've never been here before, but it, the, the neighborhood looks eerily similar to my old neighborhood. And I noticed this about other places too. It looks like the way yeah. these structures are built, they all look similar. And I was wondering if that has yeah. to do with the way this reality is programmed, if, if, it, if it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because one thing we also notice: how many times have you seen people that look exactly like someone else, you know? almost to the point that you start walking over to them to say hi and then you realize oh no it's not them yeah. it's but the, man you look just like my friend but you know whatever um or how many times somebody maybe has come up to you and said oh hi what, I'm, uh, who are you, what are you talking about i'm not this person so i think that also leads to the idea of it's and I'm, when i say the world's a simulation i don't want people to say i'm saying it is a simulation it's just a metaphor it's a way of talking it's a it's it, it, it's explaining that it's different than we think but if it's a type, if you're building a type of simulation, it makes sense again that you're not building a billion different possibilities. It makes sense that you would have a certain number of preset characteristics of anything, whether it's buildings, whether it's people, whether it's whatever, right? So it makes sense that you maybe that you create and program ten thousand different bodies and body shapes and whatever, and they just it's like they just mix and match a little bit together, and so you're going to get a lot that look the same. Um, you know, some people try, you know, they try to show these things of like celebrities and then they find pictures from like the 1800s to show that it's, it's them. They were living in like 1880. They're like a vampire or something. They, they, they just don't die or whatever. That's one theory, or it's just, it's showing that the simulation has so, has so few variables of people that you're just going to get your, there's going to be like a thousand of each of us. There's 1,000, like whatever, or whatever, people look exactly like us somewhere in the world. It's just the, the world is so big, it's rare we run into, run into, run into ourselves. Um, but all of those things, I think it's the same for buildings. I think it's the same for anything. And I think it's the same for experiences. This is another thing we, we tend to forget. How many experiences in our life, the things that we do or the things that happen to us are exactly the same as something else that's happened in our past. It's like literally the same. Um, that's where the recapitulation is very valuable to start showing 
loops in our lives and and things that are that we've done that are exactly the same. And interestingly, not only on one side can you then try to break some of the loops, on the flip side of it, you can start to see, ah, if these are loops in my life and you pick and you notice A, B, and C, you can already predict D, E, and F because you already know the loop. You know, well, if A, B, and C has happened, I know exactly what's going to come next. And this might be a bizarre thing of what the psychics who are really psychics a little bit are picking up. And they're picking up, they're not so much picking up the future, they're picking up a person's loop. And if you pick up the person's loop and you pick up the place where they are currently and you can see the loop, well, you know what's going to happen next. So all of these things, I think, are things to contemplate as we are being aware and examining our experiences. It's another one. How many things, not just of the world are the same, how many things in our own life are the same over and over? I know, like, like personality traits too, right? Just to finish up, like uh, people, you don't run into somebody who has a very different personality from somebody else you've met before, you know? And that could just be our the way we learn too. Like, and the, But like, it's, it's very weird. Like you can meet someone and you can be like, oh, he has a personality or she has a personality just like somebody I met before. You know, it's, it's very weird. It's, things are very repetitive, right? Yeah, and even more weird is if we just talked about, like I was talking, people look exactly the same. I've had that experience where I've met people who look the same as other people, and I've got to know them a little bit, and I found their personality is almost the same. So that's also bizarre, is that it's not just they look the same, they they almost act in the same way in a very similar mannerisms. So bizarrely, it's one thing I've come to, to, to test on. If I If I'm friends with somebody, and then somebody looks similar to my friend, I know the chances of my being their friend are high because they they're, they're the and and again maybe it's just the way we are perceiving maybe maybe you know in reality who knows what things really look like but it's the way it, it's an energy thing we're picking up that thing a that we're calling person a that is my friend i'm seeing thing b that would be also a good friend for me so my perception places the image of person a on person b for me to know that's a person to interact with I don't know how it works, but yeah, like you say, it, it is also bizarre when you sometimes see the the incredible similarities of, but then again, you can get the opposite, right? You get twins. So they're born at the exact same moment, the exact same time, the exact same astrological sign, and they are completely different. Yeah, they look the same, but they're like the complete opposite of each other almost. So it's it doesn't necessarily apply just because two people look the same. Twins are a really good example, but I have noticed that yeah, it's bizarre sometimes that, that when you do get to know them, they're quite, I had the opposite, right? Have you ever had the opposite where you, you meet somebody and you just don't like them? And then somebody else reminds you of that person right away. And as soon as you start talking to them, you're again like, yeah, I got to go. I got to get home now. Thanks. Nice meeting you. Bye. You just know, you already know what the conversation would be like. So you don't even have it. It's so it's, again, it's all this weird stuff that the dream, I don't think the dream is as complex as we like to think it is. I think the matrix is complex, but we, we like to think it's way more complex than it is. I think the complex, there's complexity in the code, but there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot less in it than we might think. There's a lot more things that are exactly the same in the code than we might believe. I think that's really well said. And I think that's a good place to finish up for today. This has been an amazing sure. conversation. Thank you so much. And is there anything else you want to go over before we finish up for today? Oh, I guess we've had a, you know, I'm always like, you know, I like coming and talking to people like you who are interested that are, you know, you do some really good. I've seen some of your interviews. Actually, I've watched a few over the last month. I always do that before I go in and talk to somebody. And you've had some really good ones on, like you say, you had a, 
um, another Norwegian, Ola Wolny, was on a little while ago. You also had a really good talk with her. And so there's uh, there's lots of good things on your channel for somebody who's new, like somebody coming just to see me. There's other good conversations here. So it's just a reminder to, um, um, yeah, there's lots of, there, there's good stuff out there. So don't forget to check it out. And yeah. um, where can people find you? Where can, oh, where can people find the book and find your website? And, 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 uh, and thank yeah. you so much again. This was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so interestingly, so um, the, it's so far up to today, it's only been available as a PDF file at kind of what you got as an ebook. Um, that's on my website, egyptian-wisdom-revealed.com, or just Google search my name, Howdy McCoskey, and you'll, you'll find that. But today, it finally has come out as a print book as well. It's taken a while to get it in the print book version. So uh, that'll be up on Amazon or again through my website. So you can also now get an audio book will be coming in another month it takes a while to make the audiobook version of it um howdy mccoskey talks is my youtube channel that is still running for now so uh you can still catch me there um and i'm still going through information and sharing things on, on that platform as well and um yeah those are the two best places to find me and if exit the cave is interesting for you i, I think the first chapter is up there as a sample so you can also go and read the first sample chapter to see if you think the material is interesting for you and um but I will, I will end with one piece of information, something I want to share, I'm sharing with everybody now in, the, in my interviews, and that is, you know, don't think that in six months time, important pieces of information will be available to you. Don't think that the website you want to go to or the book you want to read or the book you want to buy is available. Like, we don't know how things are going to change in the next three to six months, one month, whatever. The world is changing so fast and so bizarrely. And if things are important, whether it's a book, whether it's a video, whether it's a, a website of information you want, make sure you get it now. Make sure you have that available now. So just in case, if everything goes goes wild, you've got the things that are most important to you. So I'm just, I'm reminding you that not because I'm saying about my stuff, I'm like any stuff. If there's something you think, I've really wanted to read this person's book, but oh, you know, no, 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 you don't, don't be for sure. It's going to be there in six months. Have it now, have that available. And I'm just reminding people of that, of like, um, take advantage of the situation while we still have it. That's, that's well, really well said, because we don't know what's going to happen in this world. It's, it's insane, right? It, it gets more yeah. insane every day. <laughs> but uh, th thank you so much again. And I really enjoy our talks. And uh, I look forward to meeting with you again next time. Yeah, thanks again. And uh, good luck with everything you keep doing. Please stay in touch. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll see you in another. Maybe if everything's still running in six months, we'll do it again. All right. Sounds awesome. Thank you, Howdy. Have a good night.